0: When I was a little kid growing up, my brother Ed and I cared about one thing and one thing only, sports, right? Sports, that's all we cared about. That, that's all we did. When it was uh, the fall, we played football in the backyard. When it, you know, the leaves started changing a little bit, then the new season, we played basketball. We played baseball. We weren't playing sports, we were watching sports on TV. It didn't matter, golf, tennis, pro wrestling on Saturday mornings, man. That is what we were into, sports. ABC, Wild world, uh, wide world of sports, five o'clock Saturdays. Watched it all the time. Sunday, pro football, pro basketball. We were into sports. Sports is what really mattered. And today we've changed. We don't just think about one thing, sports. We think about two things, more sports. No, I'm getting. So, but here's the deal. Every, every four years, we would have to wait wait for the ultimate, which was the Summer Olympics. We lived for the Summer Olympics. Man, we would watch every event we could. And I remember looking forward to the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal, Canada, because we were coming off a horrific Olympics in Munich in 72, when we lost to the Soviets in basketball, Russians, okay? They cheated, but they won. They did. And we lost the decathlon to the Soviets as well, which is the, to me, the, the ultimate track you know, event besides the 100 meter dash. So we're looking forward to Montreal. And in Montreal, we had this great track athlete with a lot of promise and he gave it his all. And this guy won the gold medal in the decathlon, 10 event track deal. And we were stoked and the guy who won it was Bruce Jenner. And Bruce Jenner, man, he he was just this all American guy. And I mean, he won the decathlon. You know, we redeemed ourselves against the Soviet Union. And a year later, he gets himself on the cover of the box of Wheaties, okay? (laughs) Kids, that's a cereal, okay? So that was a big deal. It was a big deal, big deal. Now, Fast forward 40 years later, okay? I'm at a Christmas program, my wife Chrissy and I, right here, and in through those doors walks Bruce Jenner. He's wearing a dress, he has long hair, he has makeup, and he has come out fairly recently as Caitlin Jenner. He was interviewed Like the day after he made this public, and he was interviewed by Diane Sawyer, and he told Diane, he he said, I felt like I had to do this. He said he'd always struggled with the female side, the feminine side in his mind and his soul, and he felt that he had to reflect that outwardly. And he said, he felt like as Bruce, that he had been living a lie his whole life. Now, to a lot of people in my generation and perhaps older, there's, there's absolutely no comprehension or category from what happened to Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner. Now, for others of us here and for my kids and probably your kids and grandkids, they don't know who Bruce Jenner was. They, Bruce Jenner to them is just another member of the Kardashian clan who decided to transition, and become a woman. And they're like, well, you know, that's his choice and no big deal, right? But to get to a point in our our culture where millions of people think and feel that making a transition from a man to a woman, identifying as a woman or a woman identifying as a man, where that's no big deal, it took time for our culture, our country, Western civilization to get there. And this is not just an issue of transgenderism. There are other issues that are reflective of a movement of an ideology that's been uh, you know, brewing under the surface literally for generations. And the issue, the this ideology is bigger. It's bigger than your political party, be it Democrat, Republican, or libertarian, but it's not just a political issue, a cultural issue, it's very personal. It's very personal. There are arguments and fights and debates about it over Thanksgiving dinner and gatherings. And there are people that are struggling with all different types of expressions, expressing themselves, whether it's gender or sexually, or who knows how. So it's a very personal issue and it causes a lot of pain and a lot of confusion and a lot of fear, a lot of fear. So what I want us to do today is to get into a little bit of how we got here. We can't cover it comprehensively today, but we're gonna talk about how we got here. And if you're a parent and and you wanna understand your kids better, I think today's message in the following weeks will be helpful. And kids, I know you're dying to understand your parents. So if you want to understand them better, I believe this will be helpful to you as well. So the source that we're looking at throughout this series is the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. And I chose Ephesians because Ephesians deals with those three questions we looked at last week, the three questions according to that comprehensive survey that students are asking, really not just students, but everyone, and that is, you know, who am I? Who am I? My identity. Uh, and you know, why am I here? What's my purpose? And how do, where do I fit? How, how do I belong? Today, we're gonna look at who am I and try to understand culturally Not just through the lens of Bruce, Caitlyn, Jenner, but in other ways, how we got to where we are today. Look at Ephesians chapter number two, verses one following. Ephesians two, one following says this. Paul is writing this letter and he says this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. All of us. Now, I did some research, you know, the the New Testament's written in Greek, and that word all means all. It means everyone, all, all. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So without getting too deep into this particular passage today, what he's saying is that some cravings, some desires, some thoughts that we have as human beings, as individuals are contrary to God's best for our life. They're contrary to God's will for our life. So just because I have this thought of this desire or, or, or this craving doesn't necessarily mean that it's natural, doesn't necessarily mean that it lines up to who God wants me to be And to do what God wants me to do. So, our understanding of answering that one simple but difficult question, who am I, has evolved over the years. So, we turn to our good friend, the glass board here. It's going to help us out. We're going to start here, go here. We'll start at 400 BC and then we'll go over here to twenty twenty two AD. Okay. Guys, don't panic. It's not gonna be as long as you think it is, this sermon. We're just gonna cover, you know, almost a millennia. Anyway, don't panic. So let's start here, 400 BC. We'll start over here with Plato, the philosopher, not the toy. And then we'll move quickly to 1600 AD. We'll put Christianity right there in 33 AD. So 1600 AD, you had a French mathematician and philosopher by the name of René Descartes. And Descartes had the uh, challenge of trying to establish a foundation for absolute certainty for everything. So his idea was to gain certainty or had a foundation for certainty was to doubt everything, like everything, like Doubt that he's speaking, doubt that he's doubting, doubt that he has feet, doubt that he has a body, doubt that there's an outside world, doubt that there's a universe, doubt that there's planets, doubt that there's language, doubt, 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 doubt. doubt. So after doubting everything, Descartes finally came up with this, what he thought to be uh, maxim or truism to establish all certainty. He said this, you've probably heard it before. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. Who am I? If that's the question. Who am I? I am a person because I am a thinking person. So right here is a massive change from how people in Western society viewed themselves. So it went from external, believing that there was a God or objective truth outside of us that we needed to understand to now truth of discovering who I am is something very internal and psychological in my thoughts. Fast forward, these are rough dates by the way for Descartes and this cat right here, we'll go to 1700 and look at Rousseau. Jean-Jacques Rousseau was a Swiss uh, philosopher, self-trained, brilliant thinker and writer, okay? Rousseau wrote the book, The Social Contract, and the very first pages of The Social Contract, he made this statement. Man is born free and everywhere is in chains, okay? Man is born free, who am I? Well, I'm free in my natural state, my natural thoughts and my natural desires, but because of society around me, I'm chained everywhere I go. The Bible says I can't do this. The church says I can't do this. Society at large and the laws of the state and the civil state says I can't do this and I can not do this. And, and, And Rousseau said, man, I want to be free. I want all humans to be free. And for us to be free, we've got to get rid of these external forces that are messing me up and messing us up and causing us to live inauthentic lives, to be living a lie. So the problem to our, for our freedom as individuals is something that's happening outside of us. Uh, we can see in our passage today in Ephesians 2, that God's word says the problem is intrinsic to us. Sin, my choice to sin, my choice to transgress God's word is something that I do. My choice to cave in or your choice to cave in to your desires and cravings that you know are wrong and anti-God, I am responsible for those sins. I am responsible for those choices. Rousseau would say, no, you're not. You were born pure and it's the society imposed themselves upon you that caused you to Fail and falter, and to use Christian language, sin. So we're born good, Rousseau would say, but society around us corrupts us and makes us, you know, lie to ourselves and live inauthentic and false lives. Okay? It's a little bit, brief. So we'll skip way up here to the 1900s to a guy all of us have heard of, good old Siggy, Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychiatry and psychology. He was a psychoanalyst in Vienna and uh, Freud just pushed the ideas of Descartes and Rousseau a little farther down the road. Freud began to study sex and sexuality, not from a perspective of a a young person adolescence into adulthood, but way back when humans were infants and in the childhood, and he started to come up with these different theories that had been debunked, but they're still massively influential that kids start becoming, you know, sexualized, if you would, in infant and childhood, and then throughout adolescence. And so he said, one of the main driving forces in individual humans and in the history of of the world is someone's sex drive and their sexuality and how they express it. Now, Freud was a disciple of Rousseau and he read Rousseau. So he took Rousseau's idea that we need to be free to express our desires. He took it and he sexualized it and said, we need to be free to express ourselves out there, okay? So that's, that's what Freud did. So you can see how over time, this, this idea of I am who I think I am, or I am who I feel I am, or I am my sexual expression. You can see how that evolved in our society over the years. And of course, it really came to a crescendo in a way in the 1960s and the sexual revolution. Fast forward the sexual revolution in the 60s to 2022, and you have all these different forms of expression that are happening in and around us in our society. But it took many, many years for us to evolve from Descartes all the way to Freud and where we are today. And the term that some really, I think, wise scholars have come up with to say What is this force, this one force? They call it expressive individualism. And Robert Bella uh, Bella expresses sexual, uh, um, expressive individualism in this way. He says, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. So who am I? How do I find my meaning as an individual? How do I find my identity? It's by expressing those inner desires and thoughts and feelings that I have. And now in the culture in which we live, it's, it's to express them publicly in a public way and to have them affirmed by others. Some of it out there in my, my view and others to me is a form of radical expressive individualism. Carl Truman, uh, who I've gleaned so much from uh, in this particular message, put it this way. He said, I am a, the phrase, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, makes sense only if the inner psychological life, Descartes, I think therefore I am, of the individual is sovereign. Then identity becomes as potentially unlimited as the human imagination. So who am I? I am whoever I want to be. Who am I? I am ever who I feel that I am. Who am I? Some would say I am who I am sexually attracted to. Now, if you look at the history of just Western civilization, We've been off the rails in many areas before. We've been off the rails you know, sexually in all kinds of ways, going back to the Roman Empire. But there's never been a time in human history where people are identifying their core identity by their sexuality and sexual expression. So it's moved from sex being something that you do to something that you actually are. And when you're looking at a case, an extreme case, in my, in my opinion, say with Bruce Caitlyn Jenner, you have someone saying that my psychology is greater than my biology, okay? What I think I am, what I feel I am, is greater than the reality, my biological reality as a man or a woman. And that's kind of where we are, where we've gotten to uh, in our world, in our society today. So you have a lot of people that are divided over this issue. You have a lot of people um, who were, you know, personally struggling with that in their own lives and wondering, what do I do? Where do I go with that? So that's a little bit of identity and who am I? And how do we get here? Now, all these, these areas right here, They represent three epics, okay? And then this, there's another character in here that we'll look at in weeks to come. Meanwhile, back to the sermon. And, and, and by the way, let me say this parenthetically, I realize you know, a lot of you went to U of H, some of you went to Baylor, some of you went to a and others you went to UT. I know today is a rough day, right? I'm aware, like I said, sports, if you're listening to it, I'm aware. Now, guns up if you're Texas Tech, right? Is that the only school in Texas that one? I don't know, so yeah. It could be worse, you could be Catholic and Marshall beat you, so there. Now, one of the most creative forward-thinking iconoclastic philosophers who's ever lived was my man from Denmark, Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard wrote more about the inner life. He wrote more about expressive individualism and he lived out in his own life than I think Rousseau, Descartes, and Freud combined, all of them together. The difference was Kierkegaard tethered his individuality, his expressive individualism, if you would, to the person of God. One of his great quotes that I like. it's so simple, but I think it's profound. He said this, he said, "'Now, with God's help, I shall become myself.'" You see, Kierkegaard for, period of his life had lived the wild life of Rousseau and Freudian ethics, if you would, before they even were avant-garde. He had lived that out. He'd come to the end of himself. He had come back to God in Christ. And he said, I want to understand who I am. And the only way to understand who I am is to connect with the great I am. The only way to make sense of these desires and cravings and things he's had in his life is to somehow line them up or lay them out before God. The Bible is, and God is not against us being individuals. He's not against us expressing our individuality as long as it's tethered to him. I mean, there's an entire book. I think one of the biggest books in the Bible that's really all about expressive individualism, that's the book of Psalms. But our passions, our desires must be channeled and connected to the one who made us and knows us. And the more we begin to know him, no matter how much we're struggling, no matter what we're going through, the more we're going to be able to understand who we really are and what is our unique contribution to this life and to the kingdom of God. But we need something in order to make that happen. What do we need? Look at the rest of Ephesians two verses four and five, but because of his great love for us, because of his, great love for us. His great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. You know what the word mercy means? The word mercy means you're praying to God. God, act towards me on the basis of a sacrifice that's been previously made. Mercy. God's Rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin. Even when we did not know God from Godzilla. When we were living life in the fast lane. Surely make you lose your mind. All the way over here, God had this love, this plan for our lives, and He wanted us to experience an inbreak of His grace. This grace. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been rescued. By grace, God, day by day, by His Spirit, by community, is making us whole. Now, with God's help, I shall become myself. Now, (laughs) that I've really been able to lean in and receive his forgiveness and mercy and love, this great love, now he's put me on this new path of discovery. He's given me the ability now to follow him, to follow him with fear and trembling, And with joy and gratitude. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? I am who God says that I am. You are who God says you are. Yeah.